<laughs> wow. You ever felt like of just letting everything go and be able to dance like that before the Lord? There's another character in the Bible that danced that way before the Lord one day. His wife got mad at him. Said that he was undignified. Told him to put his kingly robes back on. <laughs> and in my way of putting it, he said, if you think that's something, you just hang out just a little bit longer. David got downed, really, in his underclothes. His linen ephod, that robe that he wore, took his priestly garment off and he danced mightily before the Lord. The reason he'd done that because he knew Brother Roger, the Ark of the Covenant, had come back home. In other words, the presence of God had arrived. Well, I've often thought, if we could ever get to that place in our minds, Sister Marilyn, where we know God's presence is here and where nothing will hinder, nothing will interfere with our worship at all. Nothing. That's what that's all about right there. Amen. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to continue our thought on passion shifting. Uh, this, is, uh, it, this is a good thing to follow this little song up on. I will be telling you some things this morning that I want you to think about. Um, this is one man's of, of a, a, a caption that I'm reading here of this, of this one particular man, and I'll tell you just a little bit. And I'm sure if you go on the Internet, you'd find all kind of different uh, reasons, and there may be some, uh, some other comments that others will make. But what I give you this morning, I want you to think about. I want you just to chew up on it a little bit. You say, Pastor, you may, you may leave from here saying, well, I don't believe any of that. That's okay. But at least chew it a little bit and look at it. We talked last week uh, concerning passion about the possibility that we have come 20 to 30 years being in the church world program-minded more so than individual-minded, more so than spiritual-minded of how we develop people within the church. We come through a season of developing programs and events, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with programs. There's nothing wrong with events. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. Within the body of Christ, we have to have that. But we are living in a culture today that we have declined. We have, we have taken the back seat, so to speak, concerning who we are as God's people. And so my series over the last couple of weeks has been, how do we, how do we get the passion back? How do, we, how do we get the movement or the excitement back within us of knowing who God is? As the song said, he's indescribable, but are we acting what we sing? Are we acting like we love God as much as we say that we love God? So is it possible that over the years we've developed and created this culture of, of Christians who are program-minded or program-driven, so to speak, and not necessarily spiritually driven by our, our, our love for the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, as America, we, 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 we rejoice in the fact that, we are, that our nation has a strong military. But we live with the foundation, and you know it the same as I do. We live with the foundation of we have weak morals today. You can see that all across your television set. You can read about it every day. We have weak morals. We take pride in the practice of our religion, but there's no evidence of our passion, our maturity 
in a relationship with Christ. That's why so many seems to come in and go out, come in and go out. You know, you know what I'm talking about. I don't have time to dissect it a, a whole lot this morning, but, but we have people that's coming into the church and, and living for God for a little bit and then stepping outside and, and doing whatever they want to do. We have people that are serving God on Sundays, but they don't serve God Monday through Saturday. So we, we, where's our spiritual passion at? We pride ourselves that we can produce an event that is viewed by many, but we can't find a place in our schedule to ask people that lives next door to us to come to church. We talk about building better buildings, and, but, yet we, 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 but, but we have yet to consistently build and mature a Christian to grow into a biblical, strong believer. That it doesn't matter what comes their way, they're not going to be washed away. Now, I understand that we have people within our church, you're here this morning, and thank God for you. And we have people within our church that is strong in their faith to God, and we need that. We have some old saints, and I don't mean that in a bad way, that, that I look up to because of their strength. That we, that we learn things from because of they've paved the trail before us. But yet we have another generation that's coming up. They need to see our strength. Hello. They need to see who we are. And, and whether you believe it or not, now's the time. Now's the time for us to act on what God is calling us to. to, to programs are good and we need them, but, but, but we've got to make a conscious shift, so to speak, to passion-driven to be spiritually driven by our passion so we can grow in Christ and become the mature disciples that God wants us to be. You've heard me say this over and over. The shout is one thing. The tongues is one thing. And I love all of those things, but those things alone will not carry us through the storm. They're not going to. They're not going to carry us when, when we get that phone call in the middle of the night. They're not going to sustain us when, when the enemy comes in like a flood and takes everything away. We've got to be rooted and grounded in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, do we not? In order to serve him, amen. Look with me, if you will, in Acts chapter 2, verse number 42. A very familiar scripture that I've preached on many times before, but I want to look at it from a different perspective today. Acts chapter 2, we're talking about a church that's, that is beginning to grow, a church that is, that is born. In verse 2, they says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all as anyone had need. And they continued, how often? Daily. With one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with, with gladness and simplicity of heart, and they praised God having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Added to the church daily those that are being saved. Now the question I have for you this morning is, do we believe in 2016, do we believe that, that the evangelical church in America once again can impact or influence our culture today? Knowing what's going on all around us. Because if, if you think about it and you see the culture of today, 
Matter of fact, we heard some of it this past week with Target stores and all the things that you read about it. I'm not going to go into all of that. I don't, I don't know what your opinion is about that, but whatever. But do we believe that our culture today can be impacted by the church today? The answer is yes. It can be impacted. And we've got to make the shift, but we have, to, we have to recognize it, and we've got to move in the direction that God is taking us. Listen to me, church. God's not going to come down and take you by the hand and say, hey, come go with me in a tangible sense. But he'll speak to our hearts, and he'll, he'll put something within our spirit and say, hey, we need, I need you to go this way. And we have to make the conscious decision. We have to learn to go and to move when God says move, Right? Let me show you something this morning. I read this about two weeks ago. Very interesting blog. There's a pastor by the name of Kerry Newoff. And he's the founding pastor of, of, of Connexus Church in Toronto, Canada. He wrote a blog, and this is the blog that he wrote. He Ten reasons that the church is in decline today. Let me give you these reasons very quickly. And, and, and I want you to think about these things today. And Could it be possible that it's affecting who we are today as program-minded people? The trend, he said, has been happening for years. And he said even committed church attenders are attending church even less. And he said, gone are the days when people attend 50 out of 52 Sundays. But the issue is reaching the tipping point of the church today. He said the trend is not going away. In fact, it's accelerating. It impacts almost every church regardless of size, denomination, or even location. It probably marks a seismic shift, he said, in how the church will do ministry within the future. He said church attendance is never the goal. Listen, but attendance is a sign of something deeper that every church leader is going to have to wrestle with over the next few years. Here's the 10 reasons. Number one is this. People today have greater influence. And what I mean by that is we have a greater opportunity. We have more money than we did 20 to 30 years ago. We have more to do with. The middle class, he said, is shrinking, according to the New York Times report. It's shrinking in part because more of the middle class is becoming the upper class. There are simply more affluent people than there were decades ago. And again, people with money have options. And sometimes those options play into the part on Sundays. Now, let me say this before we go on and, you, and you're thinking that I'm getting on to us. I'm not getting on to us. I want us just to learn something today. There is nothing wrong with you going fishing. There is nothing wrong with you going on vacation. There is nothing wrong with you enjoying those things. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. But when those things begin to take over your life and God takes a second seat, you're in trouble. We are in trouble. Society is in trouble. Our communities are in trouble. Greater influence. The second thing he says is that people have a higher focus on kids' activities. A growing number of kids are playing sports. And a growing number of kids are playing on teams that require travel. And many of those sports have, we have on weekends. And affluent parents are choosing sports over church. It's that simple, he said. Again, I'm not opposed for sports. I'm not opposed to even traveling, being on a traveling team. But when those things get in the way of your relationship with God, we're in trouble. Third thing is more travel. 
despite this wobbly economy. He said travel is on the rise, both for businesses and pleasure. More and more families of various age travel for leisure. And if it's just out of town, over just, just going on a camping or seeing a friend, they place the weekend or the weekend at the lake. And when people are out of town, they tend not to attend church. Again, I'm not opposed to going out on the weekend. I'm not opposed to go visiting whatever and whoever on the weekend. But when that gets to take first place over God. Are you hearing me? The fourth thing is blended in single parent families. When we have these things going on and it's happening everywhere, then you have some of the kids that are spending part of the time with dad and some of the time, part of the time with mom. And they may not be going to the same church or one may not be going to church at all. And so instead of getting them four weeks out of the month, you may get them one or two times out of the month. That's one of the reasons. They have online options. Many churches today have created a social media presence and many podcast their messages like we do here. And Churches are also launching online campuses and bring the entire service to you on your phone, on your tablet, or on your computer. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. That trend is not going away. We need to step into that venue, and we're trying to do more and more of that here. But people look to those things many times instead of coming to the house of God and getting the fellowship that they need. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that. The sixth thing is this, the cultural disappearance of guilt. How many knows that when you grew up and you missed church, you you felt guilty about not going to church. That ain't the case anymore. It ain't the case anymore. The seventh thing is self-directed spirituality. He said people are looking less to churches and leaders to help grow them spiritually and more to other options. He said we live in an era which no parent makes a visit to the doctor's office without having first Googled the symptoms of a child's illness and the recommended course of treatment. Just ask any family physician you want to. It drives them nuts, I promise you. When was the last time that you brought a car without completely looking on the internet and finding all the options and the, and the plus and the minuses and all of those things. But in this age where we have access to everything, more and more people are self-directing their spirituality and they get it from their phone. They'll look to people like Dr. Oprah, Dr. Phil, Dr. All Kinds of Stuff, Dr. Spock years ago. Some of you don't even know who I'm talking about. And on and on we could go with names. Because we live in an age where we can get anything and everything at any time we want it. So why do we need to go to church? We can get it in our living room. Why do we need these things? The eighth thing is failure to see the direct benefit. People are always make time for things that they value most. If they're not making time for church, it ought to tell us something. Even among people who say they love the church, those that say they love the church, those that even say they love our church, is if declining attendance is an issue, then chances are it's because they don't see a direct benefit. It, it might be the preacher. It might be the music. It might be the Sunday school class. It might be the programs. It might be whatever and, and, and however you want to look at these things, but they don't see the value in being here week after week. They become Sunday morning Christians or Sunday night Christians or Wednesday night Christians or whenever the event comes up, I'll come to those things. So they, see the, they don't see a value of direct benefit or a failure to see a direct benefit. The ninth thing is valuing attendance over engagement. At our church, even at Pathway, I find, I find our people today, even at this church, if people are here and they're serving, if people are here and 
they're giving, if people are here and they're inviting, and who are in the community group, those are the strongest people within the body of Christ. And I dare say, whatever denomination you go to, you'll find that to be the case in every individual. That's why I tell you, every opportunity I get, get involved in something. Just don't sit on the pew. Get involved in something. It may be just a little thing, but whatever it is, get involved in it. Amen. It'll keep you tied in. And the tenth thing is this. There's a massive, and probably the most important thing, there's a massive cultural, cultural shift, he said. All of these trends witness to something deeper. Our church, our culture is shifting. Leaders who fail to recognize this will not be able to change rapidly enough to respond to the shifts that are happening. Now let me stop here and let me, let me tell you something. We live in a society that is, that is program-driven, program-minded, but we're entertainment-driven as well. Right? We love to be entertained. We love to get our emotional move on or our stir on. Now, this is going to be to the church. I'm, I'm preaching to the church today, all right? I, I want us to think about how we can shift this thing with our community. We, can, we may not be able to change every church, but we can change who we are if there's things that needs to be changed. Hello? We, we can change our community, but we've got to recognize that. We've got to understand it. So, so we're, we're entertainment-driven, and so and everything is push-button. We go to the fast food, and we get it this way and that way, and you can go to Burger King and get it your way. You can go wherever, and you get it at fast food speed or whatever the case may be, and we expect our church services and God to move the same way. We may not say it, but... But down deep, it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just driven within us because of all the other things that's going on in our, in our circles today. And we think that if, if the pastor doesn't entertain us with a hot message, if the, if the music leader doesn't, doesn't move us with a, with a fast song, if somebody doesn't get up here and do a toe-tapping song to get us charged up, then, hey, we don't feel or sense nothing because we've got all of this mentality of being entertainment-driven in all of this. Where, have, where did we leave just being able to come to church and learn the Word of God? Where did we step outside of that circle where or even on midweek services where we would come and just dive into the Word and let the Word eat on us and chew on us and let it grow us and mature us into something that God wants us? Where, where did we leave that at? The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that they devoted themselves. Everybody say Devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we've got to understand in this, in this, this, the first church of Jerusalem, they didn't meet and vote to get a consensus that this was the direction that they're going to take in the building of God's church on earth. They just done it. They was listening to God. They were acting out of spiritual conviction that this is what God was directing in their lives. They had the example of people like Peter on the day of Pentecost. Their leadership was prepared to lead, but how? How was he prepared to lead? I want you to look at what Christ did not do in preparing the 12. When you look back at, at Jesus and the 12 apostles, he did not have them focus on the politics of the day. Amen. He didn't tell them to develop a, a focus on programs to instruct people. What, what, Christ, what did Christ do to get his followers to, to the place of maturity? You can look at it all in Acts chapter 2. He simply poured his life into those 12 guys. He poured his life into those 12 apostles. 
He gave them everything that he had. He ate with him. He slept with him. He walked with him. He done everything. He washed feet. He baptized. He healed the sick. He taught them everything that he knew. He poured his life into them. He poured his life so that they could infiltrate their culture with a transformed life and a passionate desire to serve God and to build others to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. It was simply done, hold on to your seat, it was done by conviction. We don't preach about conviction anymore. But I remember a time, Sister Sue, when my daddy would preach and I lived with him. But I remember a time where I would grip the back of the pews just tight as I could because I knew he was talking to me. Hello, somebody. We don't grip the back of the pews anymore. We don't have conviction in the house anymore like we need to. Where's the conviction gone? Where's our sensitivity on God and the Holy Spirit is gone? Where is it gone to? And that's what I'm saying. Our passion has got to return to what God is wanting us to do and get the conviction back. Conviction is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Amen. It's a good thing. Conviction helps you understand what's right and wrong. Hello. Amen. Conviction. Not by consensus. And they were not only willing to die in the process, they simply gave their lives. Now, you've got to ask yourself some questions here, church. If I fit into this category, if I'm one of these program-driven individuals, what's changed in my life? Don't, don't get so busy about blaming somebody else, even though they may be to blame, but look back at yourself as well. What's changed in me? Am I doing the same thing that I've always done? Have I changed my thought process? Am I, am I, am I praying and reading the Bible, as Christian was saying a while ago? Am I doing that enough? Am I following God the way that he wants me to? See, if, if, if God has done it once through a, through a surrendered life, don't you think that he can do it again? Yes, he can. And we've got to recognize that. So verse 42 says, They devoted themselves, the church, operating under spiritual conviction. They devoted themselves to four areas, the Bible says. Number one was doctrine. Doctrine. Oh, so that's the teaching of the disciples who were convicted by the word of God. If you want to look in Matthew chapter 28. They were convicted to go and make disciples. Teaching, their teaching would be no different. This is only one message, only one word that saves and roots the, and grounds people in the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God himself, the message of the entire New Testament was on this word. On the day of Pentecost, the Bible says, the persons who were saved needed to be grounded in the faith. And I think sometimes we as a church, we failed miserably at that. We failed miserably. When somebody comes down to give their heart to the Lord, we fail to get with them and connect with them and continue to teach and disciple them and allow them to be grounded and rooted. We expect them just to get it all their self. Because, again, it could be that we're a part of this society that everything is self-directed to our cell phone and our iPads and fast food and all these kind of things. And so we get this mentality. Small groups, even back then in the New Testament, met together to learn. They met together to teach. They met together to pray and seek the face of God. The Holy Spirit created a spiritual union by melting and molding the heart of Christian believers to the hearts of other believers of that day. He attaches the life of one believer. When they got together in those groups, he brought them and attached them together with somebody else so they could learn from one another and grow with one another. They have a joint life sharing the blessing and the needs and the gifts together. And they begin to grow. And they begin to get excited 
And they begin to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. Their fellowship is maintained because they continued steadfastly in the Scriptures and in worship. Listen to me. An unattached Christian, an unattached Christian's life is impossible. Now, you may disagree with that statement, but let me say it one more time. An unattached Christian's life is impossible. You can't do it by yourself. The enemy is a, is a strong foe. He's a strong foe. We need one another. I need you. You need me. We need one another. Christianity is first an individual matter. When the Lord, I, I died on the cross, I want to save you. But quickly it becomes a spiritually corporate matter. We need one another. The Christian is attached to Christ individually, but, but then he or she is also attached to other believers within, Christ, within Jesus Christ. Amen. So they met together through fellowship. The third thing is this. Communion. They had communion. The breaking of bread. The early believers observed that. They remembered the Lord's death. They set aside time to observe what we call today as communion or the Lord's Supper. Every day, verse 46 says, Sister Lawson, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Why, why did they observe it so often? Why did they observe the Lord's Supper so often? The more and more I get to thinking about it, sometimes I wonder if we observe it enough. Just being honest with you. I don't think you have to observe it every Sunday. I mean, we need to do that every day as, as Christians anyway. We need to observe who God is in our lives. But sometimes, corporately, I wonder if we even do it enough. Why did they observe it? The Lord's Supper was one of the ordinances that Christ had given to them to symbolize his death. And it was his death that had saved them. And because of his death, they understood that now they were reconciled with God. And now they were in fellowship with God. And now they were made new creatures in God. And now they were in field with the Spirit of God. And now they bore the fruit of God. And they now were and had and was due the death because of the death of Jesus Christ. And they simply wanted to remember and thank God for his great love that demonstrated in the death of his son... And they done it often simply to remember. Amen. And the fourth thing Acts says that they come together was through prayer. Through prayer. The early believers were people who persevered in prayer. The idea they had was the church. They joined together in prayer. They united in prayers as a whole body of believers. And through prayer they were, they were brought into the most intimate fellowship in the presence of God. You get into that... That way, Sister Pam, where, where, where nobody else bothers you. You just have an intimate relationship with God. Doesn't matter what, what's going on. So like when Kristen was up here dancing a while ago, and when she dances over here on Sundays, she doesn't care what we think. She don't care what she looks like. Don't bother her. Don't, she don't care if you like it or if you dislike it. You don't care. But you heard a little bit her heart of why she does what she does. And every, every one of us has the same testimony, so to speak. Why we do what we do. Psalms 145 simply says this, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, and to all who call upon Him in truth. Through prayer, they, they received what they needed from God. Through prayer, they received His provision. They received His, his help for their souls and their lives. And they received His direction that they needed day in and day out. And I tell you today that God loves us. God loves us. 
God loves us and he has, he has provided the tools necessary today to impact our world. We only got to look to Acts chapter 2, verse 1 and 4 really. Really to understand the spirit of God, how he filled them individually and filled the church corporately. Now don't miss this point, a critical point that we often ignore and we often neglect is the command to be filled with the Spirit of God. It's very important. He commands us to every believer, both individually and corporately, be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. When we have responded to the Spirit of God and we are directed by the spiritual conviction as to act as a result of the spiritual passion that indwells or should indwell in the, within us, then there will be two very obvious commitments that will come about and every one of us will follow these if that happens. One is this. We'll have a commitment to God's Word. I don't want to step on toes, but if I have to step, I'm sorry. We'll have a commitment to the Word of God from cover to cover and everything in between. It's not what I want to pull out and live by. Uh-uh. It's not want to pick and choose in order to live by. No. I promise you, when, you, when the Lord calls you home and you stand before the Lord, you're going to give an account. <laughs> what are you going to say? Well, I didn't choose to live that way, Lord. You know what he's going to say, right? Depart from me. I never knew you. You're a worker of iniquity. Well, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I cast out devils in your name. That's the part of the scripture. But I live like the devil, but I cast them out too. <laughs> and he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me. Why did you neglect this so great a salvation? Why did we neglect what the truth of the gospel has to say? Why do we choose in our day and time just because Hollywood says and just because the world says that everything is okay? Why do, we, why do we justify everything that we do today? Don't you understand? We can back it up with the Word of God. And so we'll have a commitment to God's Word. We've got to transfer our trust from ourselves, our ingenuity, and our trust in Him, in His instructions, and in His strength, and in His power, and in His provision. Amen. We've got to follow what thus saith the Lord says. Not what I say. Not what you say, but what he says. Amen. Not only will we have a commitment to, the, to God's word, we'll have a commitment to growth. Everybody say growth. We'll have a commitment to growth. You remember a couple of Sundays ago when I got Karen up? And we started over here, and, and, I was, and I was telling you everything was a process. It's a growth experience. And we started out when we first got married and, and, and how we looked and all those kind of things. And by the time we got, boy, things changed. We can go back and look at pictures, and I can take you and, and go to your house and look at some of your pictures as well. And I promise you some 20 and 30 and 40 years, you look different than you do today. Right? You look different than you do today. We change. It's a process. But we'll have a commitment to growth. That's what growth is. It's a process that God has us on. Both as individuals and as a corporate body, we as the church must acknowledge what is missing. And you and I must admit, submit to the biblical process of spiritual growth, which will mean spiritual change in our lives. And simply if we'll do that, God will use the spiritual passion to mature you and I as disciples of Christ. Now, we can't grow by doing this. 
We come into God's house and we get saved and everything is fine. Boy, for a few years, boy, we're, we're living high on the hog. Spiritually. We're enjoying the presence of God. We're enjoying God's people. We're enjoying the fellowship of God's people. But as we go along, you know it to be true. You know it to be true. If we're not careful, we'll get to wavering a little bit. Well, I don't, I don't like the way they do things at church anymore. They didn't ask my opinion. And we keep going on. Well, that would hurt my feelings. I, I, I'm, I'm not talking to them anymore. If they want to talk to me, they know where I am. I'm not talking to them. We keep going on. We're still coming to church, but we have these issues that we're having to, we're having to grow with. And, and for long, we're not reading our scripture like we need to. And we're not growing. We're not, we're not getting into the small groups. We're not, we're not fellowshipping with people. Like, and we keep going on because this one's done this and that one's done that. And before long, through a process of time, it may take 10, 15 years. Not going to happen overnight. Do you think when we hear about people falling by the wayside that it was just an overnight thing? No. It's a process. It's a process. But, but God says if, 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 we'll, if we'll do what the Word is telling us to do, if we'll devote ourselves to the Word of God, if we'll devote ourselves to the cause of Christ, if we'll devote ourselves to what the Word says all the way through the Word, then we'll have a commitment to growth. The early church submitted to the teaching of the apostles and received the Word, and then they acted. Everybody say acted. They listened, they received it, and they acted on the Word of God. They'd done something. When your kids was growing up and you asked them to get up and, and cut the grass or get up and, 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 and make their bed or get up and do something else, you wanted them to respond, right? You wanted them to respond. I was going to say this. It's good to have Nicole with us this weekend, a friend of Abby's from school over in Fayetteville. And I asked, I asked Karen, I think it was Karen or whatever, because they wanted me to make breakfast Saturday morning. I said, well, when I get the breakfast ready, do you want me to go just knock on the doors? Or can I go with a glass of water and throw it on them like I used to do Abby when she wouldn't get up? Well, they wouldn't let me throw the water on them. Karen wouldn't let me throw the water. But boy, boy that urge just wanted me to. But there were times when, our, when my kids was growing up and I asked them to do something, they wouldn't respond the way that I wanted them to respond. Hello? Don't you, don't you imagine that God sits up on his throne week in and week out and he tells his, his, his children, hey, do this, do that, and we just sit. You're preaching good, pastor. Yeah, but our question is, are you going to act on it? <laughs> are we going to do what the Word says? Are we going to listen to what the Word says? Or are we going to continue down our same road? You can, you know. You can. You can continue down the same road that you're walking on right now, and you'll never grow from where you are right now. You'll never grow. You can call it whatever you want to, but you'll never grow spiritually. You'll look different. You'll grow older. You'll have birthday after birthday. You may lose your hair or your hair turn gray. What of that? But you'll never grow spiritually. And we live in a culture today that we can't make up our minds if we're men or women. We live in a culture today to where we don't know what bathroom to go into. We live in a culture today that the world says this is okay and that's okay. And we, and we discard what the Word of God says. And even in our presidential candidates. Oh, Lord, I didn't want to get on this. They can't decide what bathroom to go to. Some of them. 
There's a commitment to God's word, a commitment to growth. The early church submitted to the teaching. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a law right there. Submitting. When we submit to the word of God. We submit to those in authority over us in the word of God. Are you following me, church? But, but, but pastor, I don't like what, what you said. I understand, so come talk to me about it. Well, I don't like what you've done. I, I, I get it. I don't like what you do sometimes. But we still love one another. Hello. The, the Word teaches us all about these things. They, they, they submitted and they acted in obedience to the Word. And, and in the end result, the end result was that the church began to mature. Musicians, come if you will. The church began to mature in spiritual growth and numerical growth. Now we come through a time, as I said, through churches and developing these things that we wanted people to come into our church. And I still want that. I still want people to sit on our pew. I still want people to come, come to our church. Why, Pastor? Because, because people get saved. That ought to be our, our, our first focus, right? We want to get people saved. But are we, are we telling them? Are we sharing the message of Jesus Christ with those friends and loved ones to cause them to come to Christ? But when the disciples and the apostles and the early church leaders, when they listened to the, to the apostles' teaching, they begin to act upon that, and then they begin to grow spiritually numerical. But when the spiritual aspect is there, listen to me, church. When the spiritual aspect is there, growth will be there. Not the other way around. This church, I'll just use this church. We can get people in the church. It's making them stay is the problem. We can have event after event after event. How many, how many of you remember when the power team was here? How many of you remember when all these other things, events that we do? We can get people in the church, but what do we do with them when we get there? This is the point I want to make because if we as a body of Christ, if we as the leadership of the church, if we're not dedicated enough to disciple and get along with people and share with them, they're not going to stay. They're not going to stay. The end result is that the church was producing a spiritual disciple that lived a radical a radical relationship with it with him and with one another a radical relationship as a result of this lifestyle their culture and their world was changed everywhere they went they impacted their culture for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ because of what they because of what they heard and because Jesus changed their their mindset and in closing today, if you and I, talking about passion, talking about shifting, if you and I are serious about really reaching people, if we're serious about seeing God's church make an impact on Blavel, we're serious, then we'll do just like the Jerusalem church did. We've got to join together. We've got to join together. And we've got to know that it can be done, number one. We've got to know. Pastor, all these bad things, I understand all that, but we've got to know it can be done. We got in our spirit realm, we got to see and believe that it can be done. And it must be done. We can make a difference. We can see the vision of Christ that is given to you and I simply become a reality. We can become a group of people that is biblically based. We, we can become a group of believers that is glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. We can become a group of people that together, by building a radical relationship for Christ, we will impact everybody that we're around. Amen. Everybody. And it's simply 
got to be a choice that you and I make. The Bible says they devoted themselves daily. They devoted themselves daily. Now, don't, don't, don't talk to me about, well, we're not living in New Testament times and all that. I, I get all of that. Don't, don't talk to me about that. That Pastor, we don't have the time that they did back then. Don't talk to me about all that because that's just untrue. We, we, got, we have the time to do what we want to do. We have the time to do what we want to do. You know, we value what we value, as I told you earlier. And I give you ten reasons for you to chew on and think about. Go online, they're there. Think about it. it could it be? Could it, is it possible that we've, that we've left where God wants us to be? Is it possible that we've left that relationship? Is it possible that we've left that spiritually that spiritual passion that God wanted us to have. We was doing good stuff, but we forgot about the spiritual side. We were doing good things in the church world, but we forgot about the spiritual end of what God wanted us to be. We neglected the fact, we, we got our mind and attention on numbers, so to speak, that we, we forgot about the one individual soul that needed help day in and day out. Because the plan the plan to grow a church, the plan to grow a church is just what I gave you this morning. If we'll get sold out for God, growth will come. It'll come. Growth will come when we sell out as a church, as a corporate body, as individuals to what God is wanting us to do. They devoted themselves daily. They broke bread. They, they talked about things. They had communion with one another. They fellowshiped with one another. Fellowship is so important. They fellowship. What are we going to do today as a church?